Today in this episode of Will Work for Purpose, I'm joined with Freeman, who is an educator in the Midwest, and uh, together we talk about the impact of the election on the environment uh, and the school system and the classroom in general, as well as the changes that COVID has brought on to the school system, what with everything becoming more virtual. Um, we, we also touch on some of the intangible benefits of the um, COVID pandemic, some of the metaphysical or psychological benefits that some people might have experienced, as well as some of the positive shifts in the school system that COVID brought on. So without further ado, here is the latest installment of Will Work for Purpose. Today, I am joined by Freeman, who is an educator in the Midwest, I guess, and uh, he works in the education system. And today, we're kind of be uh, we're kind of going to talk about uh, COVID, the election cycle, and kind of the impact of uh, all those things that in, in the learning environment and the education system, kind of in general. Uh, so, Freeman, where where do you work? Or not where do you work, but what position do you work in in the education system? Well, hey, Adam, thanks for letting me uh, come on today. I've I've followed you online for some time and, and enjoy the content that you deliver. And as we've gotten to talk just via messaging, um, it certainly seems that similar themes with respect to technology and the pandemic and all of the uh, thoughts that go behind that. There's so much emotional uh, stress that goes with all this right now. And so I look forward to kind of sharing some of that from the education side. Um, my role, I am what's called an educational technology specialist. Uh, Ten years ago, that job didn't exist. Um, kind of with the advent of computers in every student's hand, that movement was called the one-to-one -one movement. Um, circa 2010, 11, 12, 13, most districts, uh, public school districts, um, went into that. And out of that was born uh, positions like mine. And uh, so basically what I do is I'm, I'm a certified teacher um, whose job is to train and support teachers and students and parents using technology. And, and that job has grown in importance over the years. We certainly uh, developed a need for that in a hurry. So my job has changed a lot in the last six months. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine with uh, COVID everything being put online, uh, that that put a lot of stress on someone in like that position uh, to sort of... Um, sort of expedite things and make things more uh, virtual. Uh, so do, have, has the school systems like, um, have they like distributed more technology or like, I, I guess, how is that transition from like in-person every day to more of this online role kind of gone? It's been tough. Um, I will say that uh, in the springtime, so we're looking at mid-March, you know, our school district went to spring break uh, and never came back. Um, it was, it was, there was rumors being swirled about uh, that this could happen. The president had spoken to it a little bit. They had already implemented one or two of the travel bans. So it was, it was being discussed, um, but it was still very uh, haphazard as far as what was going to happen. And so we had to come up with a plan very quickly. Um, and, and unfortunately, not everybody was prepared for that. No one really could be. Um, so in the springtime, the transition went really well 
because we were all kind of syncing together, if that makes sense. Uh, and I don't say that in a negative way. Um, it just took a little bit to kind of get our, our bearings. And then people uh, rose to what kind of became the new norm. And we actually did really well, um, all things considered. Uh, so we, we, we made the best of it, to use the cliche. Um, but then as we started a new school year with, with this, uh, much, much more um, intuitive and thought out and uh, methodical plan was put together by a lot of people. Um, and, and that's overall gone pretty well. We've run into some struggles, uh, as you would with, with anything like this. Uh, a lot of it, so much of it has to do with what's going on outside of the school district's control. You know, where a student lives, uh, what their internet access is like, and things of that sort. So those all played into it. Um, and we have had some, some difficulties. Our district is now uh, largely back in school face-to-face, -face, um, which has relieved a lot of the anxiety. But we also have an understanding that there's a very real possibility that one day we'll get a message that says, no, we're going back to, we call them green, yellow, and red, and we would go back to red, meaning nobody's at school. Um, so it's, it was evolutionary uh, in the sense that we all started optimistic and we're going to make the best of it. Um, we were proud of how it went. Uh, and then when the new school year dawned, it, it certainly brought more challenges because uh, people were looking at it more as a long-term thing. You know, with six weeks left to school, it was kind of like, yeah, almost, I hate to say fake it till you make it, but, you know, you can kind of at that point as a teacher, you know your students, you, they know you, they know what's expected, and, and you're going to find a solution. Uh, starting a new school year, we had a lot of difficulty uh, with students not meeting their teachers right away and, and you know, having to watch a, a man or a lady that they never met on a screen and having to listen to them uh, from their kitchen table. It, it just was, was not ideal, uh, but we've, we've made the best of it. And our story's pretty similar to those of other districts in the area. Um, and, and so we, we're pleased with it. There's things we could have and would have done maybe a little differently, but uh, overall we've made the best of it for sure. Yeah, I kind of noticed that just generally across the board, uh, the initial uh, response to the pandemic was, uh, it was like, it was a lot, it was a lot different than what happened later on down the road. Like, of course, initially we had like the toilet paper bandits and everybody was rounding up paper products and, 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 uh, and mobbing uh, grocery stores and big box stores and things like that. Uh, and, but, but there was also like a more communal aspect to it. Absolutely. Where like people were more, there was more like of a coming together nature where, where like people were genuinely scared and it was almost sort of like this type of, uh, uh, dangerous event, which we'd never had experienced before. Um, sure. and, uh, and then like, certainly like as time went on, everything just, uh, people, um, sort of became less like that over time, I guess, like after maybe like three months or so, people are kind of like, ah, yeah, I'm over it. And to some degree, like it may still be dangerous, but I've been exposed to it for so long that uh, I don't feel this like community sense anymore. And like, we've all been bonded together and done all this, but like now I'm sort of like, it's sort of like the way people, um, like the way siblings argue, it's like you spend a lot of time with them and uh, you're always around them and then you grow to take them, take them for granted. And then, you know, it's like one of those over familiarity things or whatever, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, th I thought you said that really well, actually, that that was, mm -hmm. it, it all started really well and really supportive. Um, and you know, the familiarity kind of bred some frustration or, or, uh, why aren't we doing it this way and that sort of thing. And, and certainly, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, 
I spoke to my college students the other night about how um, there was a lot of uh, affection given to teachers uh, when this first hit, you know, a lot of recognition of how hard that job really is. And, uh, and, and that was really good. You know, it was, it was a bad situation, but it certainly kind of uh, validated, you know, some of the struggles and things that you hear about teachers. It's a, it's a pretty tough profession and, and not being too uh, political, but it is one that's, that's pretty heavily scrutinized. Um, and I think it gave parents some empathy for that, but yeah, the, the gloves kind of came off as we went back to school, you know, after some time had passed, uh, you're right. And just in society in general, we kind of, kind of grew frustrated with it and like, all right, now we're in it together, but it's, it stinks. And, and why can't we do this? So, right. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I definitely noticed I have uh, I have a few friends that, um, are like new teachers. Like it's like their, you know, first, second, third year of teaching and uh they're um they're, they're they're facing all sorts of different troubles a lot of them like you know they starting like you're saying with this virtual class initially like they have to meet all their students and like kind of come up with creative ways to break the ice and facilitate conversation and things like that um and uh i know that like in college classes like i'm in a college class right now and i personally enjoy uh it being uh zoom or like it's a zoom class and all the classes are recorded and i can listen to them after the fact I like that because I listen to everything sped up. And so I can just attend my university lectures like at two times speed pretty much. And, uh, and so like, that's really beneficial for me. Um, but, uh, but like, I don't have any like connection with my, um, with my peers or my classmates or even my professor really. Um, as you're have, like, have you noticed that sort of like, uh, I guess with this, like you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but like as uh, starting a school, a new school year remote, um, have you, have you, uh, in, in the position that you're in, um, have you developed any like tools or mechanisms or like ways of being that, uh, facilitate connectedness online? I know you're kind of more in person now, but, um, when everything was online, were there tools you were using to keep the students connected? Yeah. Um, not as well with the peer to peer connection, um, uh, much to my chagrin, it's just not something that's as, uh, as feasible maybe as, as you'd like. Um, I say that, you know, in, in a higher education institution, I think you do better with that just because those individuals, like you mentioned, you know, they, they want to work at their own pace and, and they will take the time to kind of go back and re-listen, relearn and, and that sort of thing. But, but in a, in a K-12 environment, the student to student interaction online, um, I wish could have been better. You know, we, we did the best we could and we did have a, a Zoom day each week, for example. So our, our school district did uh, what they called a hybrid model. Um, half the district went to school Monday and Tuesday. The other half went Thursday and Friday and nobody went to school on Wednesday. And uh, Wednesday was a, a cleaning and disinfecting day on all the buildings, but that was also Zoom day. So the students would leave on Tuesday uh, or the previous Friday, whenever they last saw their teacher, and they'd have a Zoom schedule, you know, so it, math is going to be at 8.15, and science at 10.20, whatever it happens to be. Uh, so you had that peer-to-peer -peer interaction with the Zoom, um, but they're, again, not the most ideal thing. Um, and we used other platforms, you know, digital learning uh, sites and things. Google Classroom was the one that my school district adopted. There's there's several that, that are being used, but... Um, Unfortunately, that doesn't allow for that peer-to-peer -peer very much. Um, 
it's a little better when it comes to the adult and the, and the student because the adult can kind of force that. You know, if I'm the teacher in a Zoom lecture, you know, you might be quietly not interacting uh, with your peers, but I can say, Adam, go ahead and answer this question for me. And I, I as the teacher, I, I do what I would normally do. Um, but yeah, it's, it was certainly a challenge. And, and even the, the best tools, you have your, your kids who don't want to chime in online or they can't connect online. Um, we ran into lots of issues with that for sure. Mm. And as you've like returned to the building and you've done, uh, you've sort of made the shift back to uh, in person, uh, does technology still play a major role in like the classroom setting, like more so than it did maybe pre-COVID? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's virtually a requirement now for our teachers um, to house all of their materials online, even if they deliver them in person. They're expected to be duplicated online. So if a student wasn't there, the student was quarantined, um, they would be easily accessible. To be honest with you, that's a practice that many teachers were already doing long before COVID was a thing. Um, and it's something, quite honestly, they should do and should have done. You know, for years now, uh, that's kind of been the standard. These, these platforms have existed where you post your class assignments um, and, and even if you meet face to face, you know, I, I taught for 10 years, I, I we never had a pandemic. Um, and, and I would teach my students face to face, but the material was housed online for them. And then their parents, whomever they, their grandparents, whomever, uh, could access that, view that, help them at home. The students could take it home and have an opportunity to relearn, uh, which is a huge benefit to those online platforms is you have your student who maybe just doesn't understand, um, with the in-class lecture, uh, more so they're embarrassed to ask for help, um, quite honestly. And, and so to have that housed online is a super benefit and, and something that teachers, you know, we certainly encouraged it pre-COVID and we had a lot of teachers uh, who did that, but it became a requirement in a hurry. Uh, and our district, uh, to their credit, hasn't backed off that. The, the expectation is now that you started doing it, keep doing it it's good so your students have it, but also should we go back to this red level, we don't want a situation where a teacher got out of rhythm doing that um, and then has to get back in, if that makes sense. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the, the like, I'd been thinking that as well for a while, is like, the du like uh, having that duplicate process where everything is online and, and also in person. Like I personally have enjoyed that, but a lot of my college, uh, like uh, when I first, uh, started college and you know even like uh, pretty much up until COVID it was non-existent in any of my college classes like uh, if you missed a lecture or whatever like you get you got notes from your you know whoever else was in the class but like right now I can literally uh, re-watch any lecture from any point in time uh, it, you know in, in the exact way that it was given at the time that I could have sat in on it you know and I think that's that's powerful especially for like a like evidence-based learning practices you know like that that ability to like um repetition is one of those things that just innately helps people learn uh and 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 uh and so like i think that that is one maybe one of the benefits of like the education system shifting into that more online uh, capacity um have there been any other like subtle benefits that you've seen uh develop since uh going back and like going through the covid process like anything that's been updated or um like just kind of pushed into the future that was like holding, you know, holding back. Like, um, I know like in clinical psychology, I'm training to become a clinical psychologist and in our field, like, 
we, we didn't think teletherapy was really ever going to happen in the way that it was going to happen. We didn't know that we were going to be able to administer certain tests via Zoom or things like that. And then all of a sudden COVID happened and within like three months, we're like rolling out like, you know, all these different uh, IQ tests, autism, like you can do a lot of testing now on uh, remote, remotely, which literally was thought of as like the most impossible thing to do quite like months before COVID. And now all of a sudden it's like commonplace or, um, so are there any kind of like developments that you've noticed like that? Yeah, I mean, I, and I would agree with, with that one. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of testing, of course, in education from like a uh, diagnostic standpoint, seeing seeing if a child um, qualifies for a, a special education services or an IQ assessment, all kinds of things like this. Um, and yeah, the, the ability to deliver those online. Um, I want to come back to that in just a second, but the the point you make about a benefit that didn't exist previously is, is we now have the ability to reach all of these students and all of their parents, whether it's for testing or, or schoolwork or, or whatever it is. Um, it kind of cut away some of the excuses. Um, one particular issue that we would run into a lot when I was teaching in the classroom, you have a um, parents have to physically appear uh, for a meeting if their child has a special education plan. And, and there were many instances that I and a group of teachers sat in a room and waited and waited and waited for a parent to show and they never did. Um, and then they'd call later and while well, I was at work or I can't make it during the day or these sorts of things. Um, it's a common problem, common issue. And so the remote technologies that we're talking about, it really helped the parents um, because quite frankly, now they could sit in their car uh, on their lunch break and and do the Zoom call about their child's plan if they have to. And so it's, I think the parents appreciate the flexibility that it caused. They don't have to take off work. They don't have to drive across town to school. Um, they can just do it from where they are. So that's been a benefit for sure. Um, with the testing, you're talking about the psychological testing, mm -hmm. uh, definitely. You know, and, and another benefit that uh, for sure is uh, kind of unexpected is, you know, education, you think back, we, if I say the term old school teachers, you know, we all can think of the teachers we had who were the old school industrial style teacher. You sat in a row and you shut up and you did your stuff and, and don't move, don't talk, don't chew gum, that sort of thing. Um, and, and most of those teachers have kind of retired. Um, and, and, but we still have a lot of teachers who were using those old instructional methods. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. They've worked for generations, but uh, they don't play super well with all of today's learners. Um, today's kids just aren't really, uh, they're not equipped to, to sit in rows and take directions um, like their parents and grandparents and so forth did. And so some of your teachers who were hesitant to use technology um, kind of got thrown in the fire. Um, and and I, I, that sounds harsh and I don't mean it to, uh, but kind of ripping the Band-Aid off. You know, I had to work with a lot of teachers who, I don't want to use this, you know, the way I've done it works. I don't, I don't want to put it online. I've got it all here. And they'll pull out this awful, you know, Windows 98, you know, computer is something, you know, it's just terrible. But they, um, we, we, they were kind of forced into it. And so that's been a benefit. And I still hear, um, I'm thinking of one in particular, she's cute. She's probably, you know, in her late fifties now, you know, nearing retirement. And, and she always updates me when she successfully uh, records a zoom call or when she 
delivers an assignment through Google and every kid got it and it worked and, and she's so proud of herself. And this is a woman who's far and above me as an educator, um, but, but just had to push her out of her comfort zone. And, and she's not alone. There's a lot like that. And I'll say on the other side, and this is not a benefit, you know, it, it did drive some people away. You know, we did have a, a fair amount of teachers who decided that um, I can retire or I can leave and, and I'm going to because this is, you're asking me to totally do a, a paradigm shift. Um, from what I know. And so that that hasn't been a benefit, but the other side of that coin has been pretty positive. And, and it's cool to see these people feel empowered. It really is. So, Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I work at a university and a lot of the professors were, um, a lot of them, like the adjuncts that were older, did, just didn't come back basically during COVID. Like there was a lot of layoffs and things like that, but then also like they just didn't want to teach online for the biggest part, uh, you know, and, but, but the students like, it had always been a request that our department would do our classes online, which they had never previously done before. Uh, and so like, like that was one thing that happened in my department where we were teaching everything in person, everything was in person. Like there was no chance anything was going to be posted online. And then um, we got the order on like March, I don't remember like March 15th or something like that. And all of a sudden within one week, every single class was online. We had, you know, like it was, it was insane how quickly, we went from never ever where are we going to do this to here we go everybody's getting this we're doing it online like uh you know love it <laughs> or hate it like this is what's happening <laughs> the speed that it happened at was pretty remarkable like when you when you look back at it um yeah and 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 your people who who struggle that really hurt that really ups the anxiety i'm sure we'll talk about anxiety here in a bit with this but it's it's a uh you said it well. It's like these people are like, I'm not, I'm done, I'm out, I'm not messing with it. Um, and I and I saw that in the in the district. Uh, I work uh, as an adjunct at a community college, and 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 see it some there too. But yeah, literally, you know, in this, I told you it was spring break when this when the decree came down, and knowing that this very likely could happen. You know, we we had a all hands on deck, very important. Get over here right now, administrator meeting. Uh, like two days prior to try to cobble together a plan that would work, uh, how we were going to at least give teachers guidance. And, and we started at that point, it was either 10 or 15 days that we, we teachers had a work day coming up at the end of that week. Um, and so what came to pass was the district canceled the training that was going to be given that day and gave the teachers that work day to plan, like I said, I don't remember, it was either 10 or 15 lessons um, that could be delivered online. And you talk about the suddenness of it. I mean, it was like, hey, this is a Tuesday, and on Friday you have this day to do this, and we may not come back starting Monday. Mm. Um, so it was, it was very uh, tense <laughs> and, and lots, of, lots of frustration, lots of tears, lots of hand-wringing, that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, for sure. The suddenness was crazy. Like the, the way I look at it now, it's like, good Lord, that's been almost eight months ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the initial toilet paper pandemic is a little bit, was like, it feels like a different, it almost feels like a different life event. Uh, it's been so yeah. long ago and it's so different. Um, but, but the suddenness reminds me of this, uh, one of my favorite books, it's called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, it was written by this guy named uh, Victor Frankel, who was a psychologist or psychiatrist and a neurosurgeon. And uh, he wrote this book, uh, although the manuscript was uh, 
according to him, he had compiled the ideas prior to, but he survived the Holocaust and and like the first part of this book, Man's Search for Meaning is uh, his, it's autobiographical details of uh, what he experienced through Auschwitz and Dachau and on these death camps and so on and so forth. And um, in the beginning, one of the first chapters, uh, he says, the first thing that Auschwitz, Auschwitz told us is that textbook tell, textbooks tell lies. And when he, when he said that, he said, you know, we, we thought that we couldn't go, you know, X number of days without eating or X number of days without sleeping. Or, you know, we thought that we needed our, we, we needed comfy pillows and pajamas to sleep at night or at least suitable temperatures. Or, you know, we thought we'd lose limbs or catch cold if we went outside when we were wet. And he's like, to our surprise, none of those things were happening to us. We were, you know, after being tortured all day, we were able to sleep next to uh, anybody, you know, the, the person who, with the, who, who was the lightest sleeper could, would find himself slouched on his comrade who snored like a freight train, you know? And so something about that, like, um, the, what necessity bears on us, you know, like what, what, like what, what the environment kind of requires, we can almost live up to. And it reminds me of this quote by Dostoevsky. He says that, uh, a man is a creature who grows used to anything. And like, that was his definition of man or human humanity, you know, uh, that we could grow used to anything or become familiar with anything. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is like, I think COVID, like I often find myself talking about the benefits of COVID more than the negatives. Although I think the negatives are like, they're kind of obvious, you know, like it's a deadly disease that's ravaging large parts of the country and people are losing family members and loved ones and so on and so forth. Like that. And that's like, those are like the obvious, like face value, like you would like initially, like that may be all you could see of COVID. So, but, so I like to be, I like to hear like some of these more tangible, positive things like um, about like the education system evolving and things like that. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate that you look at it that way just, just because uh, so many don't, you know, this is uh, how often do you turn on TV or, or anything and they're talking about good that's come out of this, you know, and if we go back six or seven months, there were all these commercials about us banding together and it was, they had the heartwarming music and mm, yeah. it was working together. And, and that, that's, that sentiment fell off pretty quickly uh, as, as events in the country, you know, kind of evolved over the summer and, and election season came upon and so forth. Um, but yeah, there, there were benefits. There was certainly a, a lot of compassion, you know, just you know, my mom is a, as a healthcare worker, for example, you know, she was one of the ones you drove up to and she did the test while you're in your car, you know, and, and so the appreciation that was shown to her um, and her colleagues, you know, meant a lot uh, a profession that, that, often can be thankless um, in a lot of ways. So, so I agree with that. And, and, and the other positives, as you said, with, with the education, you know, there was a, a lot of banding together. Um, every single exasperated parent and teacher that I talked to, uh, especially when the new school year started, uh, I always said, we're working, we're doing the best we can to work with you and we will make sure that your child learns. You know, that, that it's, it's going to, because I would deal with some who were afraid that my child won't advance to the next grade level or they're going to fail or, you know, I don't want to, I don't, that's the heartbreaking thing is you'll have some grandma who's babysitting her grandkids and she'll say, I'm afraid I won't do it right. And, and it's like, you know, we, so we, we certainly work together. Um, and, and at least in my district, we've been pretty fortunate that, that we've had more good than bad out of that. We really have. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm in. I'm taking this class on uh, 
trauma in adolescence and it's in part because I wanted to uh, co-opt it with like this what's going on with COVID um, and like the COVID removed a lot of like these what are called like preventative systems or like systems that are like school is a preventative system for a kid who has uh, like uh, a bad home life it's a place where they can escape for eight hours you know and, and be around people who aren't so bad to them you know and uh, and so with like um, so like educators and things like that are these like almost like they're like this like for some children, this sort of like veil of protection in a sense. Um, and like, I can kind of hear it in the way that you were talking about uh, helping like the, the grandmother who doesn't know what to do for their children. Like in some sense, like you're, you're almost like in this like um, therapeutic role, you know, you have to like kind of like calm, calm these like anxious thoughts about like technology and like just, uh, you know, getting the right education and, and, you know, checking all the boxes for graduation and things like that. Like, um, have there been in any any like moments that stuck out to you in that where you're like, wow, I'm doing more than just setting someone up with a laptop or I'm doing more than just, you know, pushing this class to online kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 probably hard to pinpoint. Um, it's 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 almost it got to a point for a while where it was just so repetitive you know you'd, you'd get the same questions and, and almost on autopilot be able to, to troubleshoot them and, and it was always a good feeling mm. but you went to the next one went to the next one went to the next one you know i i didn't get home before dark you know for a month after school started kind of thing uh just because of the sheer volume we have over four thousand students in our district um and and so there was so much of that but but yeah i mean you talk about kind of those small victories those moments um just just I just had a couple interactions, especially with parents who really were over the top grateful. Uh, you could just see the relief in their faces when they, because we would play, you know, over the phone, try to, well, you know, try to click here, type this, you know, do it this way. And, 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 and you'd hear them say, I don't see what you're talking about. It's not on my screen. And you play that. Yes, I know it's on your screen. Um, but cause I'm, you know, I'm logged in, I can see whatever. Um, and we'd finally get to a point where, okay, um, here's our office. Come meet us here. You know, we'll both wear masks and we'll sit across the table from each other and we'll, we'll just work it out. And, uh, I've had more than, more than a couple parents who just left just over the top happy that, that they could go back to their kids and, and have the program working. Um, cause they felt like they were failing. They felt like they were behind the eight ball, uh, that they couldn't fix it. And so that's, that's been that's been very affirming. It really has to see them to, to get that power. I want to talk, I want to speak to the, the role model thing you mentioned too, with the, cause that was a, that was hard uh, back in, in the spring session, especially uh, with your students who, you know, and, and I'm trying to, trying to tow the, the line here, but uh, it's a fact that there are many kids whose most stable role models are the ones they see at school. Um, yeah. That's uh, I've taught in a few districts where, uh, we had some some socioeconomic issues, um, you know, in, in various parts of, of every community, of course. Um, and it's it's tough to see those kids come to school and then see them leave and know what they're going home to. Um, and so it was very hard just talking anecdotally with, with my colleagues and, and other teachers. Um, they would tell you worse than anything, they missed the kids. They missed that interaction with them. Um, and, and, and that stable presence, you know, those, those adults are providing for them. Uh, and, and, and it was, 
it was difficult, especially when it first came to pass in the spring, because you'd hear stories of, uh, you know, some students, their parents were on the ball, you know, what can we do? What are the assignments? We're going to do our best. We'll, we'll call the teacher and so forth. Um, and you had other parents who never once picked up, you know, the phone or anything. Uh, and those kids, you know, you can make the argument that they fall behind academically, but it's, it's more than that. They, they, there's an ostracizing that's going on there um, when they don't get to interact. So, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a touchy subject, um, you know, I, but it is, it is a reality that uh, for a lot of kids, they lost that stability. And, and for adults too, you know, we're, we're, we're creatures of habit, you know, you, your Dostoevsky quote, you know, kind of alluded to, we get used to things. You're talking on, on a, a much deeper scale than, than I am with bell schedules and, you know, lunch shifts and bus lines, but it's, it's the truth. You know, even as an adult uh, teaching, you know, that, that, I had a routine and I could stick to it. Um, and, and so for these adults to get thrown off of that um, was hard, but nowhere near as hard as it was for the kids. Oh yeah. I, I, I can't even imagine um, what it's, what, what, the, like what it looks like from a child's perspective to be in a pandemic in the way that it is. It's like, I'm analyzing it as an adult. Like I am thinking about it like existentially, philosophically, psychologically, like I'm thinking about it in these other terms, you know, like, and I can conceptualize and think about it and like, you know, and work through it. And like, it can be almost like a spiritual experience for me. Um, and then, but for, but for someone who like, who just isn't developmentally at that level to, conceptualize and think abstractly and things like that. Like, um, you know, like a lot of the benefits that I've talked about from COVID and previous things that I've written or said online, um, or even just to my friends in conversation, like a lot of them have to do with those like abstractions. Like for me, it's great because like, uh, I have a clear head, like I can think clearly I, I have enough means to, to reasonably survive. I personally don't have children. Like there are a lot of things that are, that, uh, were in my like allow me to uh, sort of gain more from from the pandemic than other people might, you know. But you're absolutely right. So it's important to recognize, like, you know, there are people um, who are from like a low uh, social socioeconomic background, or that just don't have um, the the means to uh, you know to to take off work for four months, or maybe their job doesn't allow them to work from home to facilitate their kids' learning, or you know, like there 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 was like there's just innumerable uh, problems and pitfalls that inevitably will crop up there, you know, like and that it was one of those things like losing the education system in the way that we lost it, like in the capacity of like they they students didn't get their lunches, like some students benefit from free lunch, you know, and like uh, some like it's just, it's literally a safe haven, a safe place for them to be with people who you know like uh, you know a, there is abuse that takes place in education systems and in schools, but it's like it's more monitored than the home life, you know. Like if it does take place, I think I, I mean you may be able to speak to that better than I can actually. Um, the Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to kind of phrase it more of like a question. Like, um, I guess, like, I don't know how, I guess I'm not exactly sure how to phrase it, but kind of like if speaking to that safety of school, like are schools safe places really? Yeah. And, and, and the people who are tasked with that in the school system would tell you that, that the pandemic was really tough for that reason. Um, you have students and, and you know that maybe they're not going home to something that is the, the best environment for whatever reason that is. Um, and you have the resources there to help them if that's, if that's appropriate, you know, if it comes to that. 
Um, but even just that day-to-day checking in and, and making sure, okay, um, he seems okay. She's doing all right. You know, that kind of that, that understanding that, okay, everything, everything seems to be all right with this kid. Um, even though we've, you know, maybe had some concerns about them. Uh, and, and then to take that away, that was tough. You know, they're kind of, you know, not being as kind of closely monitored as you said, um, and it is, it's, it's a safe place, you know, for, for lots of reasons you know, that that's the most serious one, you know, is, is if the child were to come from an environment, um, that had risks, uh, be that abuse or drugs or, or, you know, malnourishment, um, which is a much more common thing than you might think, um, those situations being, not being able to, check in on those kids and, and give them those resources was a tough thing. And, and, and that does not affect my position directly, but I certainly work with people and it does. And it was a very hard thing for them to, to lay their head down at night and, and try to turn it off. Um, not being, not knowing for sure um, how those, how those kids were doing, you know, and on the other side of it with the kids themselves, um, you know, they suffer just from that lack of that, that quality interaction, that interaction with, with good adult role models and with peers. You know, I mean, I, we, we could go on and on about bad peer influences, especially, you know, with your older kids and so forth. Um, but they do need that interaction. You know, the kids need to be around other kids um, and, and to not have that and to not have the, the good adult role models and just that check-in, just that person who is going to say, hey, how are you doing? How are things at home? Um, how are you feeling? How are you sleeping? Um, you know, because that's a, a big deal with school. I, you know, the, the, the first hour teacher or the, the person who's monitoring the kids as they get off the bus at the elementary school, you know, they can pick up on maybe when a kid hasn't slept all night. Uh, whereas at home, if that's where that's taking place, um, nobody's really monitoring that and taking steps to maybe alleviate that, at least not to the extent the school would. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a good point, absolutely, and tough for all parties. It really was. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I think we could maybe move on to the next major thing that's going on, uh, uh, which would be the election. Uh, you kind of had mentioned previously that you might know a little bit about how that affects uh, the school environment and, and the children in general, maybe, or, um, or just how to navigate that or how the teachers navigate that. Um, is there like, it, th- there's this idea that um, the education system has become politicized and at the university level, I can attest to that. That it is, I think so. Like, it, I think it's pretty um, obvious, like your what you're taught precipitates your, you know, beliefs and like those beliefs form your understanding of the world and your understanding of the world is kind of like, like depending on how you understand the world, um, that affects your political values and so on and so forth. But um, does it affect it like in, in primary school, like um, in K through 12, like is the election really like a big deal in K through 12? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of an odd thing um, because it's, it's sort of case by case depending on the kids you're working with. Um, we spoke about this in my, in my class this week that, you know, it, it kind of depends on, on the makeup of your class and of your community. Um, you know, for, for example, uh, you know, if you, if you teach in a community that is largely liberal or largely conservative, um, it's maybe a little easier to manage because there's not going to be as much outspoken dissension, doesn't dissent, excuse me, 
Uh, doesn't mean there won't be, uh, but it's just a little easier to manage. Whereas you're in a place that's maybe more diverse with, with respect to those opinions, uh, then you've got those opinions flying around and it becomes a little more difficult. Um, the age of the student plays greatly into it. You know, you can, if you're, if you're teaching young kids, you know, elementary school kids, um, some of them will have an awareness. That awareness usually comes from uh, the home, of course, you know, they'll, they'll kind of regurgitate what mom or dad or grandpa or grandma or whoever says. Um, but they do that in the name of they believe that's right. And then they should, you know, that's, that's what they hear at home. And, 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 and I certainly understand that. You get older, your high school age students, you know, start to maybe form their own opinions um, and, and will defend them more so. Uh, they don't always defend them accurately, though. That's, that's the issue being being a, a, an adult who's kind of witnessed things in our country over a period of time um, with various parties and various issues and, and leaders and so forth, um, it's hard to maybe bite your tongue sometimes when you hear uh, a 16-year-old, you know, spout off about a particular candidate or topic, but you do, you have to give them that outlet. Um, one thing that I kind of advise teachers to do is always dial it back to what the, if we're talking political parties in this case, what does the party stand for instead of who's the representative? You know, you might decide you really do like Joe Biden or you really do like Donald Trump, um, but you don't like what their party stands for or vice versa. And, and so I try to kind of direct teachers when they ask for that. And, and with my education students, um, I say, you know, guys, if you take the figure out of it, the person, um, you might get a little longer leash, if that makes sense. Because uh, people get, especially now, it's so toxic. You know, it's so toxic. And, and I was a classroom teacher the first election uh, after my education, the first year I taught, you know, was uh, when President Obama was elected for the first time. And, and uh, that was a momentous occasion, um, you know, given his status uh, as a minority candidate from a major party. Um, and so there were uh, certainly a lot of feelings um, surrounding uh, all sides of that. And, and so to navigate them, the classroom was tough. Um, and then we saw it again, you know, eight years later with uh, President Trump and, and Secretary Clinton with, with respect to, again, this is a candidate that a lot of people rally behind um, because it's a different kind of uh, candidate than we've seen before. And, and so, again, passion on every side, and, and which is a great thing. Uh, but in a classroom, it's like, how do you dial it down? And it's very hard when you have a political opinion, you know, you got to shut it off and, and, you know, you want to say that is the most ignorant thing I've heard. Uh, you can't. And, and, and that's difficult. Um, so elections are certainly anxious in a classroom, um, but it largely depends on where you are. It really does. Yeah, I, I like that idea of uh, sort of like disembodying the political ideas. Like I, I imagine like... Um, that 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 helps a great deal it, it i mean it helps a lot like just in general with you know what with whatever you're dealing with like if you're dealing with like um i don't know your boss or you're dealing with like hard ideas you know like or ideas that may be controversial you know like you want to associate them with somebody so that you can hate that person or so that you can like you have some like uh like physical representation of what that idea stands for and like then you can like actually do something to it because like if you hate an idea it's hard to like go after an idea like for some people you know like who have who who um who don't like have that kind of training or understanding to like combat 
abstract ideas, you know? So it's like, uh, what, what do you, how do you, how do you combat a bad idea? Well, you can associate to something that you can literally be combative, combative with, you know, like something yeah. that you can actually fight, you know? And it's, and it's, you've made me think of something with that. The, you know, a lot of our, our, so the last half of my career in the classroom was in middle school, you know, so 12, 13, 14 year old kids. Um, and, and to them, many of them, didn't have an understanding that that really there were two political parties. It was more this person versus that person. Uh, and so there was certainly that lack of awareness at that age level. Now, I would say your older kids, by that point, they'll take government class and learn these things. But yeah, they do. They associate it just with a person. Mm. I don't like him or I love her or, you know, I hate whatever. Um, and they do. They, they certainly don't equate that to a, a political party that's either one, you know, over a century old, probably 150 years old. I'm, I'm showing my ignorance on history there, but uh, that they, they have certain things to which they ascribe, you know, and, and certain standard bearers, um, you know, that, that our students maybe don't know about. You know, Republican Party, I think of President Reagan as an example. He's the one that they all still talk about. Um, but today's students uh, have a, a lot of, a lack of awareness of, of people of that era. Um, and so they do, they just see who the, who the image is right now. Um, and it's, it's the sensationalism of it too. Um, mm. And, and uh, like whenever something like that pops up in the class, like some students like, Oh, I want to vote for, I want to vote for X, Y, Z candidate. And like they, you know, something sparks off where like, Oh, you can't vote for that person. Like do, uh, do you kind of step in? Do you, I mean, do you just diffuse it completely? Like, do you just stop that dialogue and like, move on like it's not relevant to the class or you know that's not con conductive to what we're trying to do here or like um do you kind of like facilitate it and like say well okay you know and you you try and push them into that thinking about the party system and try and have do, do you facilitate the conversation or do you kind of shut it down or do those conversations even happen in the classroom oh they absolutely happen um not not to cop out but you kind of read the room mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've been in situations where I just stopped it immediately mm -hmm. uh, because there were some some uh, insensitive feelings that were kind of, you know, brimming at the surface there. Mm -hmm. And so I had to diffuse that immediately just, just because I knew it was going to get bad. Uh, other times, yeah, you can lead to that conversation uh, and, 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 and you have to do it in the name of, all right, we're not going to attack. We're not going to make assumptions. But... Um, let's take a look at what you're saying here. You know, do all Republicans believe this? Do all Democrats believe this? You know, just because someone supports, you know, and, and so you can have those conversations. Um, but there are times when it's, when it's not going to work, you know, and we all know people who, who thrive on combativeness. I am not one of them. I hate confrontation. Um, but they, uh, you know, you have your kids who, who maybe are looking for that fight. Um, and, and, and a lot of kids who just want to learn and, and just sit quietly and not, not be subjected to it. So, um, there's a lack of interest by a lot of the students, um, on topics like this, you know, it's a lot of kids will tell you, I don't really care. It does not matter to me. It doesn't affect me. Um, and you can have that discussion of, well, it actually does, you know, but, but it's not really something at that age that they are, uh, in tune with yet. For sure. So yeah, I, I hate to hate to cop out on your question, but it really just kind of is a it's a situational thing. You know, I I truly have been in situations where I had to stand up and say, "Stop, we're done, we're done." Um, and there's other times we were able to have a fairly good conversation about it. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And and the funny thing is, you know, the one that got out of hand was old older kids, and the one that was fine was, you know, twelve and thirteen year olds. So I think it just has to do with kind of their experiences and and their perspectives and and also what they're hearing, you know, what's being fed to them, um, whether that's at home and and now online, you know, it's 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 in their ear all the time um, on YouTube and and on different things. Um, various other platforms, you know, there's, there's ads, you know, every time I, I get on that platform, I have a ad for one of the two presidential candidates, um, that I have to watch whether it's the person I support or not. Um, and you hear that, you know, and, and our, and our, our students, our young people, um, many of the people to whom they are looking up, um, tend to lean one particular way with respect to, to politics. And so that's causing some, um, difficulty. I would say just, just because, you know, in, in the part of the country where I'm living, uh, the district in which I live, you know, there is some diversity of opinion, but it, it tends to lean pretty hard toward one of the candidates. Um, but then you have, you know, the, the young people and the children who are maybe getting a different opinion from people that, that aren't in the home. And so they were trying to square all of that uh, in a classroom. It's hard to do because you, you don't want to step on toes. You don't want to say, you know, well, your parents voting for so-and-so, well, they obviously don't care about blank, mm. you know, and you make these statements that, that cause a lot of harm. And a teacher can get a lot of trouble for that too, um, for sure. It's, 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 a, it's a taboo topic, mm. you know, to share your personal beliefs in that respect. So. Yeah, I, I wondered about that because uh, I know that I saw there was some movement. I can't remember if it was being like, I can't remember the quality of the movement. Like I can't remember if it was just being dreamed up by the people on uh, YouTube uh, or like they were talking about social media influencers in particular. It may have been an article in like the Washington Post or New York Times or something where they were saying that uh, uh, influencers have a moral responsibility to partake in political activism or something like that. And they should be advocating for political positions uh, because they have these platforms of power. And, uh, and I, and I kind of wondered about that because it's sort of like in, there are people who I would go to and read for like economics or a political um, about politics or about history or about philosophy or about psychology. Like I like defer to the uh, people in authority in those disciplines, you know, but like, I, I don't know that someone who spends, uh, you know, 30 hours or probably not even 30 hours, maybe, maybe 15 hours a week making YouTube videos about Legos should, I don't, I personally don't want them to teach me about, Sure. Any any of those other you know topics, they may be like there you know there's someone I'm thinking off the top of my head who is an expert like uh, his name is Mark Rober Robber or something like that and he makes science videos right he was a NASA engineer I uh, graduated from like MIT or something like that like I want to go to him and I'll listen to him about science and physics and math and things like that you know but like you know but but uh, I, I guess it's like um, I the, I feel like um requiring political activism in those areas or those disciplines or those fields of work uh, seems like, I, I don't know, it seems a little uh, backwards in some way. And like, I, I kind of wondered, like, I wondered about how that worked in the school environment as well. You had mentioned that a teacher could be in trouble for advocating for one political position or talking about, uh, I, I think at least I think you said that. Um, yeah. They, okay. And uh, they, so they may get in trouble for advocating one for one uh, specific position um so i i guess i guess i kind of answer my own question but maybe you could speak a little bit more to it like um 
the the influence of like the educator on the children's like political opinions and things like that like um i guess do you see a lot of people getting in trouble for it or have you seen like people kind of get away with it or like have you ever seen anything like that in the education Um, at least in your experience i haven't seen it a lot because most teachers honestly know better Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're, you're taught that. And, and, and I can't tell you that there is a hard line policy written somewhere that you will face such and such consequence if you do this. Um, but it, it just never ends well. You hear stories of teachers who are put on leaves of absence or forced to resign because they advocated for a certain, uh, be it a political movement or, or a religious belief. Well, you know, there, there's a few things that are kind of taboo in that respect. Um, as far as, so, so I haven't experienced, I, I can think of one teacher that I worked with, um, who had been teaching for decades upon decades. Um, and this person had no qualms about telling her students, uh, her political leanings. Um, uh, but, but I don't recall it ever coming to a, to a head, if that makes sense. Um, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't, you know, I, I certainly, especially in the climate we live in today, it's so toxic and people are so quick to vilify a person just, just for that opinion, uh, whatever side that opinion happens to be on. Um, and so I, I do, I teach my education students to stay out of it and your students are going to want to know, you know, they're, they're going to be curious. Some of them just cause they're nosy others cause they legitimately want to know. Um, but they, they certainly will ask, you know, and they're, and they're growing up in a culture. Like you talk about all these folks who are not, they have nothing to do with it but we seem to, the, the media kind of seeks out their opinions um, about it uh, and they give those opinions. And, and so to our, our kids, that's just the norm that, oh, well, everybody should say who they're for. And, and it's really, really not, you know, and, and I, I, I worry as a teacher because um, we're, we're towing that line again of even though the, the student, of course, you know, has parents or, or grandparents or hopefully some sort of stable adult or adults at home. Um, the truth is they probably spend more of their waking hours with the teachers. Um, and, and so we have to make sure that, that we as the teachers aren't taking over the influence politically. You know, it, mm. I might be a Republican because my parents were or a Democrat because my grandparents were or so forth. Um, but I'm, I'm not either of those things because a teacher told me I should be. Um, and it, it gets muddy because because you don't want to be accused of, you know, if you if you say, well, I'm for President Trump or I'm for Vice President Biden, you don't want to then have a parent call and say, why are you telling my kids that, you know, they should vote for such and such? And, and as ignorant as, as that sort of scenario sounds, it is common for sure. And, and I'm with you. I, I, I have no need for the opinions of a unrelated celebrity uh, when it comes to politics. I just I just don't. Um, I just don't, the logic with it just, but that's another topic that, right. you know, talk about, but I'm totally with you. And it, but it's hard to, it's hard to neutralize that in the eyes of your kids mm-hmm. um, because they look up to these people and, and they subscribe to these channels and they watch these people for hours and hours and hours every day. Um, and for me as a teacher to say, yeah, but why should you really care about so-and-so's opinion of, of the presidents? Um, they're going to look back and say, well, I, I care about what they say about everything else. Mm. At that point, it's a hard argument to win with them, um, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, it looks like we're at our hour. I didn't know if you had any like final thoughts or anything you wanted to add uh, to anything you've said or uh, any other points you wanted to make. Um, uh, 
but if not, then uh, I think we'll call it here and uh, we could always pick up another conversation another time. Absolutely. I, I'd enjoy that. I've, I've enjoyed this. This has been, I've, 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 this has been fun to do. Um, no, I, I, I feel like we, we kind of covered the things that I think are, are most relevant with my land work, at least, you know, right now, um, you know, the, the, the pandemic effects and, and really just kind of a final thought on that is we're still trudging along, you know, we're, we're going to keep making the best of it from the side of the educator, you know, and, and if you're listening to this and you're a parent, please know that every decision that is made by your child's school district whether you agree with it or not, please know that a lot of thought went into it. It's, I can't stress that point enough um, that, that we know that not every decision um, is gonna be embraced by every, every stakeholder, uh, but it is done truly with the best information in mind. Our district administration meets with the health department weekly, as an example, you know, we, we try very hard to, to stay on top of that. So really with the pandemic, we're, we're fighting together. Uh, we're gonna keep, keep going together. Uh, and with the election, you know, we're going to stay strong no matter what happens, you know, you know, uh, um, less than a week from now, hopefully we, we actually know who, who the president elect will be. Um, I personally have a fear that it, it may take a while to get an official answer, but I remember when it happened uh, 20 years ago and, and, and what a disaster that was. So we're, I'm hoping that's not the case this time, but you know, just, just for, for teachers and navigating any contentious topic like the elections, um, you know, just hearing out both sides and, and offering, offering a, a unbiased explanation of both sides um, because your students are very likely not getting that at home, to be honest. Uh, so I certainly would advise that and, you know, and, and try to take the person out of it and instead look at what they stand for, look at the values and, and, and that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, that's an hour, I guess, in a nutshell there, but yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, I was glad to have you on and hear your opinion and thoughts uh, from the inside on all of this. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd be happy to to talk further uh, anytime. So. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to watch this episode of Will Work for Purpose. If you found anything here interesting, you can always leave a comment below or email me at mosley at tweakingo.com. Uh, if you were watching this podcast on YouTube, you can find uh, audio versions of it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else major podcasts are found. Uh, so thanks for watching, and uh, we'll see you in the next one.